we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to say welcome to our guests and those that are here for for these great celebrations that we're doing. For those that are looking for a church home, love to meet you after worship. You know, I'll kind of be hanging out there in the crossing a little bit. I would love to connect with you. And if you're online, thank you again for joining us and allowing us to be a part of your lives uh, in, in this way through the miracle of technology. Uh, before we get into 1 Corinthians 12 and move throughout the scriptures, I'd like to begin in prayer, if we, if we could. God, we're about to open your word and just uh, see what you have for us this morning. And I ask you to speak. Some folks, God, will have seen and read these passages many, many times. But I pray this morning they would listen and hear and see like with virgin ears and virgin eyes, like they've never seen it before. And I pray, God, that there are some folks who need healing. There will be the beginning of healing that might come because of what you have to say this morning from your word. I pray for those who have been turned off the church, who have walked away from you in faith, that somehow might be encouraged this morning, God, to, to reconsider and even wrestle with their faith a little bit more to say, yes, I, I believe in you, God. I, I pray, God, you would use your word this morning to do many different things. So, God, now I put aside my agenda Uh, everything that I have in mind for any outcomes, God, and that you would just use me, use me, use this voice that's speaking to have your way, to connect one more to you, I I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want want to say something, first of all, to all the parents and the grandparents whose kids just got, I want to make sure you know about something. Uh, Dallas, Dallas and I have three sons. Uh, we've had three of them for, uh, for at least three decades. One of them we've had for four decades. And I want you to know, this was our experience, and it's probably going to be yours, that from the very beginning, the, the, rate, the financial rate of return on those kids has been pretty low. <laughs> I just want to make sure you know that. It's been true with our boys. I've kind of been thinking and reflecting about our, kid, our boys, and uh, they really actually did nothing. To, they, did, they did nothing to be born. They did nothing even while they were being born. I mean, they did absolutely nothing. Dallas, Dallas did a little bit. Uh, but I will tell you, I was exhausted. I mean, I had to make sure she was there at the hospital on time. I had to have her backpack. I had to get everything there. And I had all these decisions to make while she's in this delivery thing. And I will tell you, when it was all over, I was just wasted. I just invested all this time, all this energy. And it, I just, I had nothing left when it was all over. And, and then after they were born, I guess after they were born, they actually... They contributed nothing. All they did was take. For the longest time, all they did was take, 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 and take some more. And all I did, and we just invest more time, more energy, more emotion, more money, and they just took. They took housing. They took clothes. They took food. They took education. They took an allowance and pretty much did nothing. And I will tell you, now they've left the house, and they've grown, and they kind of left, and it hasn't gotten a whole lot better. Every once in a while, every once in a while, we'll get a card. Every once in a while, they'll call without us calling them first. Every once in a while, we'll get a gift. 
But I just got to tell you, all you parents and grandparents here, pretty much the financial return on the investment of our three boys has been pretty much zero. And not only that, Dallas and I have been married now since 1979. It's been 42 years, kind of hard to believe, 42 years. And it's kind of been the same way in our marriage. I'm really not coming out ahead on this thing. Uh, I pretty much do my own laundry. I take out the trash. I mow the yard. You know, I load and empty the dishwasher much of the time. And that woman never once sends me a thank you note or calls my mother and tells her how good I'm doing. Not once. Now, some of you right now, you're probably thinking, Pastor, you grew up, you, you were smoking something this morning when you got up. <laughs> or you're kind of delirious, you still got COVID brain, because you're talking like a crazy guy. Because don't you know that family, family in a marriage is not something you have in your life so you can get something out of it. It's what you put into it. And that if you got married or you're having kids and you're going to be a consumer, right? You're going to be a consumer and you're just going to consume, consume, consume from them. You're going to be really disappointed and really frustrated. It's in the giving of yourself that the gift comes back to you. I want to repeat that. It's in the giving. It's in the giving of yourself to your family, to your kids that the gift comes. And it comes to you. It surprises you. It comes when you least expect it. You're holding that little baby, that little baby, that little baby. And they say, Dad, Dad, Mama, first time. And you go, ah. You buy a gift for your dad or your mother. And they open the gift. And your dad or your mother have a little tear in the corner of their eyes. And you go, yeah. Or you're married. Dallas, I've been married 42 years, I just said. You're at a party. We're at a party. I look across the room, and I see that woman of mine. And she's over there at a distance. And I go, wow, she's mine. She's still mine. I get to have her, really? And all of a sudden, your heart starts going boom, 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 boom. I mean, just, just like it was when you got married. And you think, man, she looks just as good as she did. And we got married 42 years. And you walk across the room, and you tell her. And you wait for her to tell you the same thing. (laughs) But she doesn't. (laughs) Because one of the things you love about her, she tells the truth. (laughs) So she's just quiet. The true gift comes when you give. And then it comes back to you. So the great question of life is, what are you doing with your gift? What are you doing with the gift of your life? What are you doing with it? There was a father whose mother died. She was up in years. So was he, to tell you the truth. After a few weeks of coping with her sudden death he begins to go through her stuff 
And he finds these dishes all locked up in this little box, all in tissue up in the attic. And he opens them and looks in the box, and he sees that they're blue. So he calls his daughters. He has two daughters. He says, hey, girls, I I know you love blue, and I found these dishes, and I was just going to throw them away or give them to the Salvation Army, but I thought of you because you like blue. So if you want them, come over to the house, look at them, and if you want to have them, they're yours. You can have them. So they came over to the house, and boy, do they love them. Uh, They really loved them. Because it wasn't just any ordinary little dish. It was exquisite china, handmade, hand-painted. Each one having a little gold rim around the top, 24-karat gold around the plates, around the glass, around the saucers, coated on the inside with that mother-of-pearl coating sort of thing, forget-me-not pattern, handcrafted in a factory in Hungary around Budapest during World War II that was destroyed during World War II, so the china was irreplaceable. The daughters had never seen the china before. Their dad had never seen the china before. So they start asking different family members about the story of the china, and they eventually they get the story. They knew part of it. They knew their mother was raised poor, very poor. They knew she became a maid when she was a young teenager just to help put ends meet. And she fell in love with nice things like china and special plates. And she found a particular set that she liked. So instead of taking a whole lot of money for pay and for special occasions, special events, she started asking for just a teacup or a a coffee cup or a saucer or a plate. And she would get them on these special occasions and she started collecting them. And she did not get married until she was 39 years of age. And by then she had collected the whole set. And she had taken each one and wrapped it up in tissue and put it in a, in a particular little box and saved it upstairs in the attic, waiting for a special occasion to use them. The special occasion never came. So one of the greatest gifts, irreplaceable, ill-valuable gifts that she had in her life were unwrapped, unseen, and unused She went to her grave, never, ever using them. And in my opinion, having a gift like that and not using them, not being aware of them, you might as well destroy them. Because that's what you've done by just not using it. In the scriptures right here, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul writes this in verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. The proper word there in the Greek is ignorant. I do not want you to be ignorant. God has given you a gift that is more valuable and priceless than any set of dishes or china that you might own. And one of the great tragedies of life is that many of you will go to your grave with those gifts being 
unwrapped, unseen, and unused. Because you are ignorant of the reality of the gift that God has given you. We are in a series, the fifth week of a series, we are calling One More. And we are looking at what it means to be the church. As we get ready for the next 50 years that God is going to do around here, we are realigning ourselves to understand what it means to be a part of God's church, what God's church is supposed to look like and feel like and operate so people on the outside want to come and to be a part of the church on the inside. Now, this weekend, we're focusing on the concept and the idea in the scriptures where it talks about one more, is that God just doesn't ask you and me to go to church. He doesn't just ask you and me to follow Jesus. He asks us to actually serve our family. To serve the people that we, to pour into the people that we say we love and we call family. That's where we're going with this today. So... For the rest of this message, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to assume, whether you're online, True Worth, in the bridge, in the sanctuary, wherever you're in the house, that you know nothing about this thing called spiritual gifts, that you know nothing about God's church family, and I'm just going to speak in such a way that you're ignorant, and hope by the time you walk out of here, you truly will not be ignorant about what God wants us to understand about how his church functions and operates and who the church is called to be. And I think the Apostle Paul were here in this room this morning. There are five things he would not want us to be ignorant of. I'm going to push through them. Here's the first one. God would not want me to be in, 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 ignorant in knowing that God has created me. God has created you to serve. He has created us to serve. Over here in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. It says we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do, do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God created you to do good works. That is to serve other people. Now, every once in a while, I hear people bring this up. Hey, pastor, I got a bucket list. I got, I'm going on this bucket list. Do you, do you have a bucket list? Hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with having a bucket list, okay? But I want you to make sure you understand, really, from a theological perspective and from a true world perspective, what bucket list really means and where it came from. Are you aware, if you look at a thing, a bucket list, you think it's a, just like an exquisite trip or some sort of uh, exotic life experience. Well, before I die, I want to make sure I've done this. But the word bucket list, you, you look at the Oxford English Dictionary, it says that came from the concept of an idea of a pig being slaughtered that's tied to a beam. And that little beam that it's being tied is like, is like the bucket list for the pig as it's dying. You're not a pig. If you're a believer and a follower in Jesus Christ, you will not kick the bucket. You won't if you're a follower in Jesus. The scripture says over in John chapter 8, anyone who obeys the word, obeys the word, you will not see death. You won't kick the bucket. When you die, you experience forever life in eternity. You keep on going. You keep on living. You keep on enjoying. You keep on thriving. 
So I promise you this, the most important list in your life is not your bucket list of experiences you want to have and trips you want to take. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not the most important list. The most important list is what are you going to do with the gift that God has given you? What are you going to do with it? Who are you going to touch? Whose life is going to be different because they experienced you? Someone, one more, one more, one more, one more connected to the incredible love and healing grace of Jesus Christ. How many? God has given you, created you with that gift for the purpose to serve other people in that way. And he's called you to do it. Me too. Over here in First uh, Peter uh, chapter 2. I'm going to read another passage to you. I love this little passage. And it starts like this in verse 9. It says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. God's special possession. The church. It says royal priesthood. So let me ask you a question. You hear the word priest, priesthood. What do you think of when you think of the word priest? Just kind of reflect on that a second. What's your image in your mind of a priest? Years ago, Dallas and I had the privilege of going actually to Budapest, Hungary. It was an amazing trip. It wasn't on our bucket list, but it should have because it was an amazing trip. I would encourage you to go. And while we were in this, in this setting, we took some tours and we, we went off the beaten path. And on the beaten path with this little, little church out in the middle of nowhere. And I got to meet this Catholic priest. And he was 90 years old, pushing toward 100. And I, I could tell he hadn't had many conversations with Protestant pastors. And he found out I was a Protestant pastor. And he asked me, so you're a Cumberland Presbyterian? What's that? He said, do you believe in God? I said, yeah, yeah, we believe in God. He said, he said do you believe in Mary? I just said yes and didn't try to explain. I didn't want to confuse the matter. I said yes. And then he went on and tell me what priests said. This is what we priests do. We christen them when they're born. We marry them when they're wed. We hear their, their repentance. We hear their confession. And we pronounce forgiveness when they sin. And we preach over them when they die. That's what we do when we're a priest. That's what we do. He said, we, we hatch them, we match them, uh, we patch them, and we dispatch them. That's what he said. <laughs> That's kind of summary what a priest does. And what a priest does is pretty important. But in the ancient world, what a priest did and how you think of a priest is really different than how we think about clergy today. In the ancient world... They had what's called a two-tier system or two-track system. You had stuff that the priest did, and you had stuff that the regular people did. And there were some things the priest did that nobody else could do, such as there was a holy place that the priest could go. Nobody else could go. There were sacrifices the priest could offer. Nobody else could offer. There was forgiveness that the priest could offer that nobody else could give. There were clothes that the priest wore that nobody else could wear. But then Jesus comes. And Jesus fulfills on the cross the ultimate sacrifice of forgiveness for all people once and for all, the priest of all priests, Jesus, the great high priest. And so now you would think that is the end of earthly priesthood. 
because Jesus is the priest. In fact, it's just the opposite. Instead of ending priesthood, now everybody is a priest. That's what the scriptures say. Let me read it to you again. Started, I'll start at verse 5 of, of 1 Peter chapter 2. You, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You're all a priest. Not only that, you're a minister. In our day and time, we have taken the word minister and made it a professional thing. And that's not what the Bible has to say. The word minister actually comes from a phrase in Acts chapter 6 about the serving of tables that everyone should, no one should go without being served. And so they go do the work of ministry. You are a minister. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a minister. I want you to say out loud to yourself, I am a minister. You have been endowed with the Holy Spirit and given you a spiritual gift to do ministry. To serve other people. God has created you that way. Here's the second thing I want you to understand there in your message notes. That God has gifted me. Gifted. God does the gifting. God is gifting you to serve. Not to go to your grave with your gift unused, unseen, unwrapped. He's gifted you to serve. I'm back in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 7. Let me... Get back there, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 7. It says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The key there is each one, manifestation of the Spirit, that is a spiritual gift, is given for the common good. This is God's plan for the church, and I will tell you it's beautiful. Let me tell you what God's plan is. This is how God wants his church to function. He wants someone with the gift of leadership to lead the church. He wants someone with the teaching gift to teach the church. He wants someone with the encouraging gift to encourage other people. He wants someone with the gift of helps to help other people. He wants people with the gift of hospitality to hospitalize other people. That's not what I meant. God has arranged the church with people each having spiritual gifts. He has gifted you, and he wants the church organized and functioning around spiritual gifts and for you to use your gifts. And you show me a church. You show me church people who are defying the Holy Spirit, not using their gift. You show me people, a church where no one is defying the authority of Scripture, by not organizing and guiding the church, I'll show you a church that's going to die. I'll show you a church that's going to shrink and go away because this is God's design and plan for how the church is to function. Now, I will tell you, years ago, years ago, uh, they were excited about this. Because they're thinking, wow, no longer do I have to sit on the sideline. Because now it doesn't make any difference. You're rich or poor. You're slave or free. You're Jew or Greek, Gentile. It doesn't make any difference. 
There was a role you could play. You could make a contribution. You could come to the party and bring your apple pie. You had a gift to bring. You're not just sitting on the sideline, just receiving, 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 and consuming. You actually have a self-identity and worth that you have a dream to dream, and you can bring it to the party. But here's what happens in so many churches. We kind of gravitate back and forth from the two-tier system of we've got the professional people over here and the amateur people over here. We got the real priest over here and the non-priest over here. We got the clergy people over here and the non-clergy people over here. And we keep this dividing line. See, it happened all the time. Still does. Used to be when I was growing up in the church, if some people wanted to start a new church, you'd get a few people together. Then what do you do? You go hire a minister to do the ministry. You say, they've they've entered into the ministry, so you go hire them to do the ministry. And what does he do? Now, notice I said the word he. Used to, it was only he. Thanks be to God, we've been delivered, and now we can also say she. Because now we know what the Scriptures really had to say about that subject. But he, what did he do? So let me kind of give you an idea of some of the things that he did. He would study the word. He would preach the word. He would visit the shut-ins. He would pray over the sick. He would lead the board. He would arrange the worship service. He would shepherd the flock. He would print the bulletin. He would recruit volunteers. He would marry them, bear them, console them, counsel them. He would master theology, exegesis, homiletics, leadership, administration, finance, management. He would lead worship, be creative, and God forbid make sure there's enough people in the nursery. And when you leave, make sure you empty the trash before you close the door. Church, I have seen job descriptions for pastors that Jesus himself would not sign and do. Because every once in a while, churches kind of gravitate toward, hey, we'll watch you do it. And that's not the way God has designed his plan. His plan for the church is to give everyone spiritual gifts so you can serve the family and strengthen the body of Christ. And that's you. Thirdly, God doesn't want me to be uh, uh, ignorant and God changes me when I serve. And I really want to make sure you get this. God changes me when I serve. Uh, Paul wrote this little letter to the church of Philippi who are really struggling to figure out what it is to be the church. And, and, I, and I love what he tells them. He says right here in Philippians 2, two 3, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing. Anybody ever gone to church with a selfish ambition or vain conceit? In humility, value others above yourselves. Now, that little word humility right there. That's a virtue. You just cannot say, hey, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be humble. You can't just acquire humble humility. You don't wake up in the morning and go, you know what? I think I'll be humble today. Hey, why don't you watch me be humble? It doesn't work that way. I want to introduce you to a lady named Indra. I'll just say her first name, Indra. She's from India. Here's Indra. Can you put her up on the screen, please, Indra? She was raised in a home of poverty with a sister, single mom. In a culture where women could not attain and achieve anything. 
could not dream anything. But their mother made sure that two, her two daughters would do that. So here's what she did at dinner time. She would have both the girls write a speech. If they were running for office, they'd be a president or prime minister of a country. And they would give the speech, and the mother would vote to pick which one had the best speech that she would put in position of power. And then she would have them sign, she would pick one, and they got to sign a piece of paper for a day, I'm the president of or the prime minister of. So she grew up thinking that she could do anything great with her life. And one day she did. She became one day the president of PepsiCo. And just so happened on the day she was named president, she comes home and her mother's visiting from India in her home. So she comes home to tell her mother the great news that I am now the president of PepsiCo. But she walks in the door and says, hey, mom, I got some great news. Your great news can wait. Your house is out of milk. Would you please go get some milk? Mom, mom, I got, hey, your news, well, your, your house is out of milk and we need some milk. Go get the milk. So she leaves, and she goes, she, she, she's fuming mad. She goes and gets the milk. She comes back. She says, Mom, Mom, I had this great news to tell you that today I got named the president of PepsiCo, and now you ruined it all by telling me to go get the milk. Mom, how could you? She said, listen, daughter. She said, why didn't you ask Roz, your husband? Why didn't, you have, why didn't you ask Roz, my husband, to go get the milk? Well, I thought about it, but he was tired. He looked tired. <laughs> and besides that, you're my daughter, not he is. So let me tell you something, girl. Say, when you come home, you are a wife, you are a mother, and you are a daughter. And so is your husband, Raj. He's a husband, he's a dad, and he's a son. And you're irreplaceable. Nobody can do your job. So when you come home, park your crown in the garage and go get the milk. I love that. And the scripture says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He parked his crown in the garage. He went and got the milk by taking the very nature of a servant. Please hear this. I'm going to move quickly here to wrap up, but please hear this. When you serve other people, God changes you. When you stop thinking just about yourself. And all of a sudden you start being transformed into humility and compassion and kindness and gentleness and goodness. The fruits of the Spirit. When you serve other people in the name of Jesus, you get healed. And if you're hurting right now, if you're broken right now, you want to know a way to get healed? Go Communicate and serve somebody else who's hurting the same way you are. And it's amazing how God will work when you do that. Here's the last thing, two things I would tell you. God uses me when I serve. God uses you. God will just use you. The scripture is very clear about that. That's how the body of Christ is put together. God uses you. Some person's a hand, one person's a foot, one person's a shit. We're all, God just uses us. The body's a unit. We're all together. When, in one part, it just, that's the way it works. The scripture says over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that one part suffers, the whole part suffers. And I don't care how good you can see. If you can see really good, but if your feet don't work, you're not going go to go to look much anything. And in the body of Christ, everybody has a part to play. Everybody's a part of the party. You know that? Let me, I want you to think for a second what part of the body you might be. Maybe you're the mouth, and you love to talk about your church because you love God, and you just, you just freely talk. Maybe, you have, maybe you're the ears of the body. 
Maybe you can listen really well. And when you look at people, they really connect with you. And they know that you care. And they just feel much better because you can. Maybe you're the spine. You have courage. And when the church is struggling because of your courage and your faith, the church holds together. I'm just saying you all have a part to play. God wants to use you to hold the body together. And here's the last thing I would tell you that we learned here from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. Is that God will reward my service. God will reward my service. I want to make you that promise. God will reward it. And for those of you who are tired and weary because you've been serving for a long time, could I say thank you? For those who have been serving for a long time, I I would say thank you. But to those that are tired and weary, I I would offer this one little passage here from Galatians. And it goes just like this right here. Galatians chapter 6, the very last chapter. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the church, the family of believers. Now, maybe you don't do this, but every once in a while at home, I'll do an act of service, and I'll think maybe Dallas didn't notice, and I'm not going to get any credit. So I'll find a way to kind of say something up so she notices. I'll say, oh, Oh, honey, cleaning up the dishes. It all be kind of easy tonight. The dishwasher's empty. Did you notice? Am I? I'm surely. Am I the only one who ever, every once in a while, just kind of drops a little hint to make sure somebody notices and sees what you did? If that's you, can I tell you something? God sees. God notices. Every single little thing. And there's no act of love that you do that God's not going to use to build you up and redeem this world he is doing. The world may not applaud you. Your family may not celebrate you or praise you. But one day, there is a reward. There is a harvest, the scripture says, in heaven that will be more beautiful than anything you've ever seen before in your life. So I just tell you, keep on serving. 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 The harvest is coming. So, we're not just doers of the word. We're here, here's the word. We're doers of the word right here, right? Right? We're not just hearers. We're doers. So tell me, what's the application of the word this morning? Someone tell me. So clear, isn't it? I'm going to ask you to stand. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have been forgiven on the cross by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his blood spilled out willingly for you. If you have asked for his grace and he has poured it upon you measure upon measure upon measure. If you were a part of God's family called the church and you love your church family wherever that may be and if you have hope Beyond death, if you claim that, here's my ask. Park your crown in the garage and go get the milk. God made you to serve. God needs you to serve. You need to serve. 
And in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus was asked, what does it take to be great? And here's what he said. If you want to be great, go be a servant. Church family, go be great. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.